We shall. Give me that sound effect. And we're on to part two of the last call podcast. Thank you for joining us. Ash, how are we feeling? That I am up and about. When did excited to be excited to be alive? When did you start at the pub today? <laughs> uh, I finished work at two thirty, so two forty. <laughs> I said, see you later, went straight. No, no, no. It was a little bit longer walk than that. It was about 10 past three. Half an hour to the pub? No, I went home first, got changed. Yeah, good decision. Yeah, how it is. Yeah, no. I've, well, I've been drinking since lunch. So, like. Since uh, lunch? Oh, I have a late lunch. <laughs> I, about, no wonder you've made no fucking sense on this podcast so far. No, but I was uh, basically sober last week, so that, that's no excuse. I'm just a fucking dickhead. So was I. But uh, last week was clearly just... We made sense, but didn't really say anything worth listening to. Another motto of the podcast to go along with. No evidence to back it up. I Wait, just, we are going to... No <laughs> we... We're going to have to start a list of mottos of the podcast, just like in year 10 RP&E when we started a quote book for Mr. Keith Romanus. Keith Romanus? That's a name. Quite legitimately, we saved every quote in a document for the entire year, and then I formatted it with pictures and everything, printed as a book for our last class of the year and presented it to him and made him read his quotes to the class. Yeah, yeah. That's a name I haven't thought of. You know who that reminded me of? Dr. Father, uh, Reverend Peter. Uh, what about uh, Mr. Dr. Father, Timothy Gaden? Oh, I haven't heard. Jeez. Now we're going. He's back. He's back. He's back? Is Father Pete around? Uh, no, I think Father Pete's moved on. As in with life? No, 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 from the school. <laughs> Because the last I heard from him, he had a stroke, and I heard it wasn't that good. <laughs> no, I think Father Pete's still with us. Okay, very good. <laughs> very In the good. name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I hope so. All right, we're gonna we're gonna transition very swiftly from uh, grammar priestdom, and we're gonna jump straight into worldwide news. <laughs> That's enough priest talk. We don't need to talk about priests that have come from Ballarat right now. This is not the legal report. No, it is not. All right. NBA draft, Wednesday night. Lamello! Lamello ball slipped to three, going to Charlotte. My favourite thing about that is that um, Lamello, Lamello's dad, we all know him. We all love him. Ball once said that he could, uh, in his heyday, Kill Michael Jordan 101. Do you know who the owner of the Charlotte Hornets are? Uh, who is Michael Jordan for five points, please, Alex? Michael Jeffrey Jordan for five points. So that'll be See, interesting. Cheeky little Alex Trebek reference, RIP. Uh, rest in peace. Rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Um, yeah, the Hornets had a really good draft, and then they decided to sign a 31-year-old to a four-year contract for $120 million. And then that's kind of where I got off the bandwagon. But 
Australian drafted at number 18, Josh Green to Dallas. Where's he from? He's a Sydney boy. Who do you play with? And where's he gone? Uh, So he's a Sydney boy. He moved to the US when he was young. I can't remember Mm -hmm. which college he played for, but he got drafted to Dallas um, with Luka Donk Doncic. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Is his name Luka Donk Donkic or did you... No, his, his nickname is The Donk. The Donk. Okay. The Donker Donk. The Donk. Um, but yeah, that's a really good fit. And if you're going to put money on Geelong to win a flag, you could probably double up and um, put money on Dallas to win a chip because they are... Are looking- you trying to create a multi here? Stay in your lane. As someone who's come up with a list already this week, I'm coming on to your multi. I'm coming yeah, on okay, to you. Yeah. Um, next Just off, make sure yours is not more successful than mine. Just imagine that if is I to say successful. Just, just imagine if I come into the multi lane, knock it four out of four straight away, hundred bucks in a pocket. I might give it a whirl next week. See how we go. All right, mate. This is this is a segment in the making. Competing multis. We're just going to turn every segment into competing segments. It's going to get real meta. <laughs> um, <laughs> following on from a conversation we had, maybe not last week, but maybe the week before about hmm. Lamelo. Um, now that he's been drafted number three, do we have any follow-up comments as to whether playing for Illawarra as opposed to a college side has helped, hindered? What's it done? I think this is a bad year to decide because they didn't play college. Um, so like no one could really tell like the top, top 12, I think, uh, no, actually seven and nine. So let's say 10 players out of the top 12 were in the college system and like nothing they did before, like after the college season got dropped, um, made a difference. But I think next year will be interesting because the G League is going to be back and uh, the NBA are allowing people straight out of high school to go into the G League and then straight into the draft as opposed to college so people can get paid. So, like... Yeah, okay. So, I mean, in Lamello's case, it turned out to be an incredibly good move, right? Because he got A paid and B seen by scouts and stuff, what he could do. Yeah, no. But and he went Any to other the- year, it's probably still not as... Yeah, Good I, I think it worked fine for him because he went to, I don't know if you remember when he went to Lithuania to play basketball. Um, he and his brother played in Lithuania and then he moved to Australia. I think the balls are a different case, but like I'd yeah. argue that it was fine. Um, Having said that, do you think it's only worked out for him because he was so good in the NBL? Maybe. Like he, he was... I mean, the- I actually, I didn't see a second of the NBL season, but... He I assume he was very good, right? He he was good. Um, he can't shoot to save his life. He shot twenty seven percent from the field, but like he is he's like an AFL player. <laughs> he is um, like a generational passing talent. Like his playmaking um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and ball handling is second to none for someone who's six seven. Like he is uh, Ben Simmons light. Yeah, right. Um, um, ex- excluding, obviously, his dad, who would have run rings around Michael Jordan. Is he the best yeah. of the family? Yes. Uh, Lavar, best of the brothers? Yeah. So, LeVar, Le- 
Lavar said Lavar it. excluded because he's he's a freak. No, but Lavar said in an interview, he said, uh, Lonzo's good, Lamelo's going to be the best, and Leangelo is very handsome. He could be a model. <laughs> Which translates to, he's not making the league. He's shit. Yeah, he's not making the league. Um, but yeah, Melo at three. A couple of the um, the draft, basically. <laughs> All the NBA Sorry. players. Um, um, yeah, go on. Lamella went what? Four? Three. Three. Where did his brother go? No, so he's, uh, one of the brothers is already in the league. And the other yeah, one... What, is, but didn't he go top five as well? Uh, yeah, he went two. In he went two. League. So the other one is rated better. Hey? But, I mean... Relative to the draft class, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, like, compared but, to what he was supposed to be. So, for, yeah. But they reckon the, the lower-ranked one is going to be better. Interesting. Yeah, I think be interesting to see. That be better. Which, yeah, and I'm excited. Um, <laughs> where, where does the other brother play? What club does the other brother play at? He plays for New Orleans at the moment. Uh, the Pelicans. Uh, with uh, generational talent design, Williamson. So that'll be... It's going to be interesting. Next year is going to be very good. There's been a lot of big trades. Um, there's been a lot of strange free agency signings. Next year is genuinely going to be a lot of fun. So if you're going to get into the NBA... Next year's a year, because like, mate, I'll I'll be there with bells and whistles on. That's what I like to hear. All right, we're transitioning into soccer. Oh, lovely. Do you know the name Yusufa Makoko? I do not. So Yusufa Makoko um, is the next big thing in German football. German. Uh, German football. We're talking German football. Yeah, he sounds German. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think he's Cameroon, Cameroonian. Ah, uh, African. Okay. Yes. Uh, he, he's he's um, the same way that every um, Frenchman is somehow Algerian or right, North right, African. Right. Ladidia Drogba. Exactly. That, that, very good. That's exactly right. Is he French? No, he speaks very good no. French, and he was born in France, but he's uh, from the Ivory Coast. Oh, uh, well done, Ash. Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire. Yusuf Makoko. <laughs> Yusuf Makoko is now 16, but when he was 15, he was playing with the under-19s. So he, in the years, so he turned 16 on the weekend, and he's already made his debut for Borussia Dortmund, which is the second biggest team in Germany, and the Bundesliga, which is like the league they play in, basically changed the rules so that 16-year-olds could play football. Because as a 15-year-old playing in the under-19s, he's called 13 goals in four games. He's that good. He caused a rule change single-handedly. He is that good. He is wow. the next... He is, like, literally the next big thing. Um, and he the came on... Messy. Nah, he's more of, like, a genuine, like, uh, centre-forward. Like, if your Didier Drogba um, reference before would not go amiss, because he is quick. Le Didier Drogba. Le Didier Drogba. He will sit up forward and bang in goals, as, uh, a la yeah, right. 13 goals in four games. Um, he got substituted on in the 85th minute for the Borussia Dortmund's uh, first team and didn't do much because he only had five minutes. But, like, as a 16-year-old, he was 16-year-old in one day. 
and yeah. played for the second biggest team in Germany. All right, so I, I'll admit I've got absolutely no idea about uh, football, mm-hmm. soccer, beyond very superficial Australian team, name of very good FIFA players. Outline the next sort of five years for Mr. Coco. So, Borussia Dortmund are very well known for their youth development. Um, they're, and, and they're like a top tier Bundesliga team, right? So they're the second best team in the Bundesliga behind Bayern Munich, who have won the league. Yeah, yeah. Bayern, like Bayern Munich, Munich, very good, obviously. So they're like the Man United, basically, of Germany. Oh, I wouldn't say that now, but um, are Bayern. Well, Bayern, 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 a league of their own at the moment. They're the yeah. So the, let's say. In football terms, like AFL terms, Borussia Dortmund are the Geelong. Of- yeah, okay. Well, I mean, AFL is an awful example because we've got a salary cap, but like yeah, no, but the- EPL- they're very good. Yeah, yeah, okay. So like top top tier, they they come to- yeah, they're yeah, yeah okay. every year. Yeah. So so he's at a top tier side in what the the main squad junior squad. That uh, main squad. Um, main squad. At 16 years old, um, and he is allegedly the like the save because uh, German international football has not been very good. Uh, they recently got beat six nil by Spain in a competitive game. So he is uh, the allegedly saving grace of German forward play, which is a lot to put on a 16 year old. I feel. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, if it's a once-in-a-generation talent, I mean, it's probably fair, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm, I just brought that up because I think it's outrageous that he, A, scored 13 goals in four games as a 15-year-old playing against 19-year-olds. And then yeah. basically the Bundesliga changed a rule just to get him to play, which is insane. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly, like, not just a great player. He's an exceptional player. Which is why I ask you, like, what life sort of lies ahead for him between 15 and 20? What do you think will happen? Well, so, this... at 16, he's... Yeah, he's, he'll be in and around the first team, I think. But, like, which, which, this is what happens with great young players is that they come on the scene. Um, there's a lot of these players around um, Europe. Uh, there's a young lad by the name of Eduardo Camavinga who plays for Wren. In the French. Oh, yes, I'm very familiar with Mr. Kanawinga. I, I assumed. <laughs> I figured. but basically, Many of our listeners may not be, though, so I won't talk too much about him. That's fair enough. Um, but basically, any time some 16, 17, 18-year-old comes on the scene and they, um, like, um, basically take the league by storm, Real Madrid... Barcelona, Man United, Man City, Liverpool are just like, well, we'll buy him. We'll buy him for 60 mil. So that's that's probably what his life is going to be. Because the striker in front of him at the moment, Erling Haaland, um, scored four goals in this game. And he is a 19-year-old Norwegian lad. And he's, yeah, the, the next great thing. But Makoko is also the next great thing. So, like, 
All right. So um, let's fast forward a little bit. By age 20, you see him probably playing for one of those real big, real like well-resourced clubs, whichever one it is. Yep. Um, is he starting? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, is he dominating? Depends. It, it, At age 20? Like maybe. Um, is he in the national side? It'll be one of those things where he'll be around the national side. But the thing with all the national sides is that they love playing people who've been around a long time. It's like yeah. Australia. Uh, again, would he play for the Germany national side? I assume not the Cameroonian side. No, he's already um, played um, in the... Germany. Yeah, German under 17s, I think. So Yeah, okay. So it would be Germanian. But I assume those sides that are were once good and are trying to get back to being that powerhouse are trying to blood those young superstars though, right? So that might be more beneficial than the Australian sides that like don't have the superstars coming through and are just trying to reward the like journeyman. Yeah, no, no, one hundred percent. And they have been, but um yeah. So the the next World Cup's what twenty two? Yep, in Qatar. Qatar. Do you see him playing in the German team in Qatar? He might make the squad, but the the, the coach the coach has been around for fourteen years and loves playing old people. So like, yeah. so it will depend on how he plays in the next two years, probably, or maybe next year. Yeah, mainly if he plays, if he gets approached by Barcelona or Real or Arsenal or Chelsea or someone. Yeah, well, and also um, the, the Euros are next year um, as well. So, True. Yeah, okay. So Euro 2021. But yeah, that's Yusufa Makoko. And my last point for worldwide news, Ryan Reynolds and a host of Hollywood people. I saw this. Yeah. Wales team Wrexham, who lie in the fifth tier of English football. One question. Mm. Why? Um, All right, second question. Sure. Why the fuck? <laughs> so, uh, Salford United. Salford United? Yeah, or basically bought by, there's a really famous um, class of in Manchester called the Class of 92. Uh, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, um, a bunch of like legendary Manchester United players bought a team in the fifth or sixth tier of English football. And they're now in the third or fourth tier of English football. Um, so they basically just want to do that. And, and they made a cracking Netflix documentary out of Salford. So there is a good chance right. that they're just being like, well, we can make a lot of money off of this. So money, money is the answer. Yes. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, Everyone being like, oh, Deadpool bought a football team. Sick. I mean, yeah, if they can incorporate, incorporate it into Deadpool 3. Ah, oh, this is going to be I'd watch. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, goodness, goodness. Um, That's all I got for Worldwide News. Right, what else have you got? Uh, we've got a list. you got a list? Oh, I'm excited for the list. The list is top five stats that sound outrageous 
but are very much true. These are in no particular order. No particular order? Nah, well, because it's not very much of a list, is it? It's just a collection. It really is a collection, but the last one is number one, I think. All right, so, so it's two through five and then one. Yeah. All right. Roswell Butler for the used to play for the Toronto Raptors. Got one turnover in zero minutes. Sorry? One turnover in zero minutes in a game of basketball. Do your minutes get rounded down? No. So when he got... Or was he on the bench and it hit him and rebounded to somebody else? He was facing the other way, abusing somebody in the crowd and just hit him in the shoulder blade and rebounded to a Nets player. So what happened is that he got subbed on and he was bound to take the inbound pass. However, there was a five-second violation on him, which uh, is the turnover, and then he got subbed straight off. How do you get a a five-second violation if you've got a... Sorry, what? So basically, when you inbound a ball in basketball, uh, the, the clock is stopped, but you have five seconds to inbound the ball, otherwise it's a turnover. Right. Um, so it's kind of like these six seconds play on roll. So he got the five he got the five second violation, um, and then he got credited with the turnover, and then he got subbed straight out and didn't get back on the back on the court. That's so unlucky. Uh, so a poor game, a poor game from Mr. Roswell Butler. Mate, could he ever show his face in Toronto again? I. I don't think he was that good a player. I doubt it. No, I doubt it. All right. Next point. In 2014, the Kansas City Chiefs went 9-7 and seven and made the playoffs. However, throughout the entire regular season, none of their wide receivers made a touchdown catch. You know what this feels like? This feels like the American Baseball Association where the... the Bottom 32 sides of 34 make the playoffs. <laughs> the MLS. The MLS. Where it's, what is it? Bottom 16 of 30, no, bottom 18 of 32? No, well, the MLS 18 of 26 make it. But anyway, the Chiefs went, what, nine and seven with no completions. No, so no... So their receivers, you know how you throw a touchdown to receivers? Yeah. Receivers didn't get one touchdown for 16 games. How did they, what, how did they make the finals? A lot of Penalties running touchdowns. Running my, man touchdowns. Jamal, my man Jamal Charles. In fairness, that's a bit like me on Madden. I get a lot of running touchdowns. You got to run the ball, man. Running the ball, essential. Essentially, I, um, modern game. The most recent Madden game I've ever had was uh, 17. And I just, I was a big uh, throw. So I used to play as the Seahawks and I would throw the ball to about the 10 and then I would run it from there. That's what you got to do. Gotta Every run. time. And it's just, I could always get a play that could run it from 10 if I had like two or three downs every time. Yeah, hard. All right. Next anyway, one. Anyway, number three. More, more in our realm over his entire career. Joel Selwood 
has averaged three free kicks a game, four, and at the moment is nearly 110 clear of the nearest free kick earner. Next. That does not surprise me at all. If anything, it's too low. But so he is the, he's more of a protected species than the Tasmanian devil and tiger combined. It just sounds out right. Cause you think three free kicks a game and what teams average 15 to 20 free kicks a game. It should be way more than average, but it, it honestly feels less than he should get because he's just Joel. He's, he, he loves to duck. All right. This is, this one's my favorite. So this is before the clear number one. We're talking South African domestic T20 women's cricket. Oh, good. Oh, is this, this is exactly uh, what no, I know. I know what this is. Is it highest percentage of runs per team or something stupid like that? Very similar. So is it the, the woman that made like 200? Uh, no, she made like 112 of her team's 114. Very close. All right. So we've got the Mpulanga under-19s versus the Eastern under-19s. Umpalunga women's team finished with uh, eight for 169, with nine of those runs being extras. The other 160 came from Shani Lee Swart. <laughs> she was the only player in her team to score runs. <laughs> She's the only one that scored. And she made 160. That's a fair effort. Did they win? They did. They won. They won the game. Nine that's extras, the... <laughs> 160 from one person, and that's it. If I had never seen that as a meme, that would have been the one that was just unbelievable. I just would not have ever believed it. <laughs> um, unless I had have seen it before. Like, Wow. All right. And number one is very well documented. Donald Bradman. Average 99.94. In his last game, <laughs> needed to average four runs. Four runs to average 100. Well, what did you make, Don? Bold for a duck. Oh, no! Quack, quack. Oh, no! You That's fucked up! He's You're fucking shit, Donald. So far and above everyone else in cricket ever. And he needed four runs in his final game. He was averaging 101. In his final yeah. game. The, um, the most amazing part of how dominant he was was how easy it is to, how much easier it is to bat these days. The, um, the pitches get covered from the rain and in any bad situations, the bats are so much better. Yeah. Um, the bowlers are subject to so many more conditions. Like, I remember reading if, about the if body. Don Bradman, if Don Bradman, lived today and batted through today's conditions, he would average like 250 and that's quite legitimate. And that's how ridiculous it is. Oh mate, they're Will Pukowski numbers. No, like <laughs> Will Pukowski made those numbers against the, the few best bowlers in Western oh, Australia and South Australia. Don Bradman used to make those numbers against the best in the world for fun. Yeah. He was effectively batting on an untamed piece of grass against bowlers that had no restrictions with just like an untamed piece of timber. Just think about how wild that is. And he still averaged a hundred. 
Uh, 99 points. On, gr- on grounds that were bigger than what we play on today because they went they went all the way to the fence instead of having the boundary rope. Yeah. Ah, no argument. It, the there's goal. just no element of it that it was easier for him yeah. than it is now. Yeah. No. Other than, maybe the, other than maybe the fact that um, players today are more athletic, but... At the same time, players then <laughs> didn't care about their health, so they just went hell for leather and bowled as fast as they could, which was faster than most bowlers bowl today. Oh, 100%. I remember reading about the Bodyline series and being like, what the fuck? How does this man yeah. average 100 yeah. when playing yeah. England five years in a row? Because he's just was just freakishly good, and they had no helmets on. Like Bodyline was essentially just ball short at him, trying to hit him in the head to get him out, or put him in the hospital so we don't have to get him out. That's tough. That's tough. Um, and that's my list for the week. Would you like to offer your list? And I'm going to play the sting for this one because I forgot for mine. As long as I get the Essendon Football Club on my sting. <laughs> has kicked 13 on the siren. So as promised last week, I'm pretty sure I promised this. Uh, I've gone through my best 10 ever Essendon top-up players. Before I get to the top 10, and uh, we're going to get through much more quality now than we actually get through in the top 10, but... uh, (laughs) I'm going to go through a few players that aren't included in the top-up players because they technically weren't top-up players. So, uh, Mr. Paul Chapman, who not I think a top-up player. most people assume to have been a top-up player, I think he came over in 2014 and retired in 2015, noting the top-up player year was 2016. So, Chappie was 2014 to 2015, so he doesn't count. Matthew Lewenberger did come across in 2016, but he came across as a free agent from the Brisbane Lions. So he's not a top-up player. He's just somebody we acquired as a free agent. That's a good pickup. Uh, Craig Bird from Sydney came across at the, at the start of 2016, but not as a, a top-up player. He was just a trade from Sydney. Um, and then the next two are people I genuinely thought were top-up players, but turns out... We're not. James Gwilt. Not a top-up player. Was not a top-up player. The year before, we just traded him in as a player that had been delisted that we thought we needed. No one needs James Gwilt. And somebody that I thought was a top-up player that actually came six years before the top-up players, over from Hawthorne and only played two years at Essendon, Jamal might be able to answer this. Not Mark Williams. Mark Williams. I thought oh, Mark Williams shit. was a top-up player, but no, he came over in 2010, played two years, was awful, and was gone. Yeah, he was part of the uh, Sean Burgoyne trade. Uh, so we get on to the top... Well, we, there's only 10 top-up players, so it's not a top 10 top-up players. It's a 10 top-up players. I'm very excited. All of them. So, number 10, also to be called the worst top-up player. The Brisbane Lions, I think, Ruckman, by the name of Sam Michael. Oh, no. Uh, 
No, I played two played two games for Essendon. Was fucking shit. Uh, number nine was a little bit unlucky because had far more potential than most of the top up players that we recruited. Nathan Grimer. North. He only actually got to play two games, but he's a very good guy, very good player, actually, very good defender. <laughs> and through the end of the year where he was contracted to us, when it became clear that he wasn't going to be able to play any games, he started making an appearance on the bounce on Fox and was very funny with Chief and Spart and Gazy. Um, number eight was uh, he played four games for the Bombers, named Sam Grimley. Ex-Hawthorne, great. I think he used to play for Hawthorne. He was the... And as such, was fucking shit. He was the uh, the trade chip that got um, sent across in the Josh Kennedy trade. Mm. Well, Sydney should have kept that chip. He might have been a salt and vinegar goodie. <laughs> uh, number seven, another Hawthorne reject who played four games for Essendon in that year. Jonathan Simpkin. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, no good. Nah, not really. There's not much more to say. No good. It really isn't. Number six, he played five games as a very serviceable ruckman, to be honest. Um, Bell Chambers was suspended for the year, so I, I quite value his services, was Mark Jamer. Ex-Melbourne Mark Jamer. Ex-Melbourne Mark Jamer. The big fella played five games for us in 2016. Love it. Uh, somebody that played seven games for us at number five was the ex-Brisbane player, James Polkinghorn. Wow. Number five? That's high. Mm. Played seven games. I uh, probably watched all seven. Cannot remember a single one. That's why you're down at five, my boy. Yikes. Uh, Number four, played eight games for Essendon. Remember him very well as an Essendon player. He looks much better in red and black than he does in purple. Uh, Ryan Crowley. Premier tagger, Ryan Crowley. Crowley. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... uh, Obviously, he was better at Fremantle in his prime, but I think he had a pretty good year at Essendon. He, uh, what did he play? Eight games. He, He wasn't too bad. He was a good player. No, I agree. Yeah, and now we're into the top three. Each one of the top three played more than 10 games in the red and black. Wow. And for my part, we're all pretty good servants for the Bombers through that difficult time. Number three, a Geelong servant devotee who unfortunately got delisted at the end of 2015 Wanted to continue his career. Played 11 games at the Bombers through 2016. Mr. Matthew Stokes. Oh, yeah. He was... I didn't like him particularly. Well, it wasn't, wasn't great, but wasn't like good. was good enough to get an AFL game, especially at a side like Essendon. Uh, he, he wasn't a side with James Quill, so... We move on. Um... Did you say he was on a side with James Quill? Yeah, he was. Matthew Stokes. No. No, he was a genuine top-up player. James Quill was not a top-up player. Ah. 
Matthew Stokes is number three on the top-up player for a reason. He was a top-up player. <laughs> and we moved um, number two. So now we get to the number one and the number two, and these two players are the only two players to not only get above 15 games in 2016 for Essendon, but also to earn themselves a contract for the year after when all our band players came back. Wow. The number two, we get to Richmond reject, which still feels hard to say. Matt Day. Or Matt D, however you prefer to say it. Uh, yeah. DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency. Yep. Uh, in 2016, he played 20 games for Essendon, earned himself three more contracts. Three? He played 17, 18, 19, and played another 18 games across those three years. Good for him. He was actually a pretty good servant for us in the end. He played 38 games across those four years and definitely took us out of a hole. But clearly the best uh, top-up player Essendon had, and, I mean, it sort of followed a little bit of a, a pattern with Matthew Stokes and obviously somebody in Paul Chapman that wasn't actually a top-up player but felt like a top-up player. Mm. Mr. James Pops Kelly. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, he was good. He, I, I uh, he, he was good. Through uh, 2016, he played 19 games yeah. as one of those elder players just mentoring the younger players. He was very good. Contributed more than his fair share. And then... Uh, he played one more year and played another 20 games in 2017. So he played 39 over two years. Definitely a worthy player. Played 300th in the red and black. And uh, we can't thank Pops enough. No, that's good. That's a fair shout. Not as bad a list as I thought it would be. I mean, the first uh, five, six <laughs> were pretty poor. But before Cali, Day, Stokes, and Crowley, there was a pretty poor list. Sorry, who was the first one? Uh, Number yeah, 10. Sam Michael. Yeah, I, I've never heard of that man in my entire Nathan Grimer was a pretty good footballer for North, but could never play a game. Oh, I agree. Sam Grimley was shit. Jonathan Simpkin was shit. Mark Jamar was shit. John, James Pol- uh, Polkinghorne was shit. Yeah. Oh, well, that's what you get for having top-up players. So, that's a good list. I've, I've got a Tinder match. Probably they should be. Hey, oh. Uh, no, she's... We'll get to her later. Um, <laughs> is it multi-time or rant time? Uh, it is up to you, my friend. We usually go rant first. Would we like the sting? Rant first. Do the... Give me the sting. Dear Mr. President, there are too many too many states. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Wait, give me something that's... The best thing I've ever done for this podcast. Uh, just you wait. All right. 
Let's go. Ash's rant. For the last few weeks, I haven't actually been that angry. So the rant's been sort of middling. It was a gloat and then it was kind of shitty. But <laughs> something did catch my eye this week that just sort of, well, it made me laugh a little bit. And then when I thought about it, I, I got to yell a little bit. I'm not sure if you're across this, Jim, but it's a doozy. North Melbourne chairman Ben Buckley has come out today and given realistic goals for new North coach David Noble. Have you seen them? No, I have not. No, I have not. Guesses? Uh, to not wait, 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 wait. Given Brendan Gale's 10-year plan that everyone thought was ridiculous, what do you reckon Ben Buckley said was oh, realistic no. for Noble to achieve? To not fold by 2025? <laughs> Give me another couple. No, more realistic ones. Come on. Uh, to win four flags by 2025. <laughs> Wayne Relb. Is he gone somewhere, the- somewhere in between those two, yes. And I quote, realistically, Duh. David's got two to three years to really get us into a position where we're competing regularly in the top four and ultimately looking to win a premiership. Top four? Name, name the last time North made the top four. <laughs> We've changed the age profile of the list dramatically in the last six months. A young and exciting group coming through, but a core group who should take us through the next five or six years. Who's the core group? They just lost. Give me a fucking spell. With the list they've got, they're not even a legitimate chance to win a VFL premiership in the next three years. Is this where I come in and say... (laughs) The VFL and East Coast second tier comp. Shut the fuck up, Jim. (laughs) I'm serious. Not since James Brayshaw has chairman of that fucking football club has there been a stupider utterance from a North Melbourne chairman. This is a club that's held three coaches in three years and they think the next three might yield a premiership. You went to two straight fucking prelims. You sacked the coach responsible for taking it of those three. And then you told the Ford, who was largely responsible for taking you to those three, uh, two prelims, that he was not a required player. I may have fucked the rant up a little bit, but you can still fucking ship off. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Ah, I fucked it up. Uh... North haven't made the top four, I'm convinced, since 2006 or seven. Uh... They've made the final since 2015. It's after that, isn't it? Where did they make the finals? Uh, uh, I reckon they made a prelim in 2017, didn't they? I don't think so. Hold on. Because the last I remember North being good is you remember when they went 9-0? and 
or like ten and one in um that was like twenty sixteen. And then they lost like nine games in a row. I reckon twenty sixteen they um beat Essendon in the elimination final. They made the prelim and then I reckon they made the prelim in twenty seventeen as well. Uh, I'm gonna look this up, but we're gonna run into multi while I look up the north. What do you got for the multi? Ah, uh, well, um, other than a guaranteed banger. All right, we'll, we'll just come straight into it and say we didn't win last week. We were robbed. New South Wales were fucking awful. And the uh, Seattle Seahawks found a leg when I thought they were fucking legless because Jamal to- told me they were. So we're going to blame it mainly on him. All right, I'm going to interrupt you and just say North came 15th in 2017. So, um, when do they, they play in prelims? 14, 15, uh, um, 15 16. I, anyway, we're not going by Jamal's shitty negativity. Last week's multi may have been sabotaged by the state of origin and Jamal, but this week he's distracted, so he can't take away from what is a guaranteed multi. I've already put money on it, folks. Okay, you're becoming more of a nuisance than you are a support, so maybe you just be silent for now. Thank you. Yeah, uh, leg leg. <laughs> Sorry, um, leg one. Is, we're going for an upset. Actually, we're going in the NFL. We're going to go on the LA Rams to defeat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at two dollars seventy. I know it's a risk. I know Tom Brady is dominating down there in Florida, but I think the Rams are just on top enough. I think they're in form enough. I think they've got the synergy between the team to defeat the Buccaneers. That's a decent shout. Jamal, I asked you to be silent. Thank you. <laughs> I'll appreciate that. Um, going to the international cricket, sadly, I think India might defeat Australia in the first ODI on Friday. In Sydney, I think Australia will probably win the series. We'll definitely win the test series. I think we'll probably win the ODI series. We might lose the test, uh, the T20 series, but who knows? But we'll lose the first ODI on Friday at two dollars ten. Take it to the bank. And Jamal, now is where you're welcome to come back into the conversation because the next two may excite you a little bit. I'm ready. Sadly, the Pakistan Super League is wrapped up for 2020. Fuck, now what am I going to watch? But we're going back to the Grand Slam of Darts! Yes, sir. And we are going back to the same man that we bet on last week. He was the favourite last week. He's the underdog this week. Simon the Wiz Whitlock. Last week was about $1.40. This week he is $2.15 to defeat... Jose de Souza in the Grand Slam of Darts. Get on him. I cannot su- support him any more than I currently am. Underdog. That's tough. 
easy money. It's the fourth leg that I feel like Jamal will be the most supportive of and all the listeners will be the most supportive of. Anybody that has a cent to their name, go out to any betting agency, Ladbrokes, Sportsbet, TAB, just go to any local pokies and put every single cent you have on the next bet. If you're not going to put it on the multi, put it on the next bet. It is the most guaranteed bet of all time. On Saturday night, Jim, there is a boxing match. Do you know who Roy Jones Jr. is fighting? Is this the J... Oh, no, is this... Who's fighting Roy Jones? Fuck, I have no idea. Like, I will when you tell me, but, like... Mike Tyson. Uh, We are on Mike Tyson to defeat Roy Jones Jr. at $1.42. Absolutely guaranteed. Mike Tyson's only 54. He's a spring chicken. He will absolutely defeat the uh, 51-year-old Roy Jones Jr. And that's paying $17.31. I thought you meant the. <laughs> I thought you meant Mike Tyson was paying seventeen dollars. I will get on Mike Tyson at seventeen dollars. No, 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 no. Mike Tyson's paying a dollar forty-two. But our multi, which is guaranteed to win, because they're four certainties, seventeen dollars thirty-one. Geez, that's a decent shout. Absolutely, it is. Get on it. I can't believe Mike Tyson's fighting again. That's such a dumb fight, though. How do you feel yeah, about? How do you feel about? Young. How do you feel about boxers fighting UFC um, fighters? Like the whole... If the boxers boxers open to it, it's fine. I mean, um, UFC is just all fighting. So if if boxers want to fight UFC fighters, that's their call. Yeah, no, but in terms of a boxing match, I feel like it's like when uh, when Connor boxed Floyd. Floyd wins that fight 10 times out of 10. Honor was closer than most people thought he would be. Um, the problem with boxing is that it, uh, yeah, see, like it's a different sport. A bo- like, a boxer versus UFC fighter. If it's scored on points, obviously a boxer's going to win most times. Mm. Having said that, Connor got closer than most people thought he would. Um. But, like, if a boxer fights a UFC person in UFC rules, the UFC person wins. So, it's, it's just... There's got to be a little... Really... There's got to be... There's got to be, like, a mutual mid-ground that we can get to. No, but, I mean, it's not that... The whole point of it is the money. Oh, yeah, yeah, obviously. So, it's like, if the UFC fighter uh, agrees to come to boxing for the money, then they're happy to get the money even if they lose. And the same with if a boxer agrees to fight in UFC, it's because of the money and they agree for the money if they lose. So it's not, I don't think it's like any big deal. No, no, I agree. And I think, um, I think if anything, boxing, you're going to have UFC people coming over to boxing. I don't think you'll have any boxing people going to UFC because they will get murdered. They will literally die. In the yeah, the, there have been a couple of wrestlers go to UFC. But, That's more um, translatable, but like box, like yeah, 
boxing's a whole different, uh, like UFC is a whole different beast compared to boxing. Like I don't watch much of it. I haven't watched UFC since Anderson Silva blocked a kick with his leg and his shin started spinning around. Like that was. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. right. What are we up to? Where are we going? Um, we up to who am I? Oh, I think. Oh, who am I? Yeah, who am I? Uh, and uh, someone I haven't thought of in a while. And then we're into the last call. All right, who am I this week? Who the hell do you think I am? We got five points as per usual this week. Number five. I was drafted number 40 in the 2010 National Draft, hailing from Lang Warren. In Victoria. Joel Selwood. No, but I feel like he is from Lang Warren. My last look um, look up of Joel Selwood was free kick stats. I reckon they're from Warrnambool, aren't they? Yeah, that's, that's actually a fair shout. All right. Number four. I had an absolute belter of a debut season debuting in round eight in 2011 and racking up Brownlow votes just eight rounds later against the Suns with 26 touches and two goals. Uh, Joel Selwood is from Bendigo. Steel sidebottom. No. Three points. I was part of the 2012 winning premiership side. And my career only progressed from there, winning the team best and fairest twice in 2014 and 2017. Dane Rampy? No, but that is a good shout. For two points. I reckon you might get it on this one. And if not, you'll definitely get it on one. And if you don't, I will be incredibly disappointed. For two points. I'm an elite ball-winning midfielder and was compared to former teammate Jude Bolton for my tenacity in the contest. Take your time. Luke Parker? Correct. For two points, Luke Parker. Ashley Hetherington is off the schneid with the who am I. Did you want to hear my for one point? Uh, I do. I share the last name with Spider Man. <laughs> Spider Man being Peter Parker. Ashley got yeah. Luke Parker for two points. Whose last name is Man? Um, <laughs> Bill Man? Dane Man. Yeah, no. I. Um... I thought Dane Rampey might have been it, but yeah, Luke Parker's... No, a that's a good up. shout. Dane, Dane Rampey is a, a bona fide Sydney, like, this century all-time player kind of thing. Yeah, true. All right, uh, have a thought of Yeah. I've got three. I want you to start. I've, I've got more than that. All right. I'll start? Yeah. I've got a risky one to start. Ooh. Daddy Jacobs. No, 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 no. Go on. 
Go on. That's a joke. Um, uh, I've got a risky two-pointer to start. Ooh. Even riskier because I don't know how to pronounce his name. Angelo Lekas. Ah, uh, no. I think about Angelo Lekas every single day of my life. Why do you think about Angelo Lekas? I remember... Here's, here's why I, I think about Angelo Lekas a lot. I remember in 2005 when we had to write diaries in our first grade class, I did a play-by-play. Of 2004, Anne-Marie Jolly. Anne-Marie Jolly. I umpired her brother at some point in my life. Yeah, Darren. That, that being Darren. I remember we had to write a diary and I went to the Hawthorne versus Adelaide game in 2004. My diary was the Hawthorne Essendon game. The line, the, like when they fought. Yeah. The, the line, line of the sand game. game. Line of the sand game. <laughs> um, and I remember Angelo Lekas kicked a point. And I remember I was talking to my dad about Darren, umpiring Darren, Darren Jolly. And then I was thinking about Angelo Lekas because I wrote about him in my diary. In 2004. This is bullshit. <laughs> Angelo, uh, is a king. A king. All right. I'm going to save my risky one for last. Or should I do my risky one now? Do it now. All right. Essendon great. Brent Prismal. Oh, you're so unlucky. Oh, no. Well, you're not so unlucky, but um, he, uh, my dad knew his dad, Clint, who uh, used to work for the same company as dad did and could get us, like, uh, uh, change room passes. Ah, that's tough. I thought I thought. Oh, I yeah, Brent, Brent, Brent Prismal, number nine. One of my favourite players, I think. Really? Brent Prismal. Yeah, um, uh, Brisbane player, Clark Keating. Ooh, no, I haven't thought of Clark, Clark Keating. If you said Jamie Charman, I would have said yes. But Clark <laughs> Keating. <laughs> that was next. Jamie Charman. <laughs> No, I remember Woo! you, uh, I think it was you or someone in second grade used to call me Jamie before people started calling me Jimmy. <laughs> because of yeah, yeah. Charm- Jam- Jamal Charman. Charman yeah. Jamahaja. That works. It works. Yeah, it's not bad. All right. Um, but no, oh, well, I've used my three. Have I? Uh, oh, no, I've got one more. I've got one no, you're more. still got to I've still got two more. All right, Jeez. my second one. Richmond great, Graham Polak. I've got bad news. Who the fuck is thinking of Graham Polak in 2020? No, no, no the, that's not the problem. I've never heard of Graham Polak. Really? Yeah. You never heard of Graham Polak. I've heard of Graham Polak, the South Australian cricketer, and his son Sean. God damn, Graham! 
Graham Polak played eight, ten years in the AFL. He was a rising star nominee in 2003. Same year as Sam Mitchell. You hate to see it. We're going to count that as... We're going to count that as a wash. You got one more? <laughs> um, oh, yeah, Jamie's out. So, wow, this one will be easy. So, it'll fail. But um, Jason Graham. Ah, oh, yeah. But no? Nah. I, I, why would I think of Jason Graham? No, Graham. Jason Graham, the St. Kilda guy. Oh, Graham. No, also no. I was thinking... Yes! Jason Graham, oh, Jason Graham too. <laughs> Graham, too. All right. I'm going to do my last one. All right. Uh, trampoline chest. Nathan Thompson. Hawthorne and North Melbourne. Oh, Hawthorne North. Oh. Yep. That's such bad news for you. How, how do you keep thinking of these people? I thought about him this afternoon when I was looking people up. That, that's going to be the thing. And that's the, going to be the thing where we're just and, like... And I read, I read Nathan Thompson. I was like, no, Jimmy would have thought of him. Yeah, mate. Oh, I wouldn't even bother with the... Because I once went to a talk in the Eastern Oval about like mental illness or depression with Nathan Thompson. Yeah, no, he's a he's a big advocate for. Uh, and I I was looking at like old North Melbourne lists, and I was like Nathan Thompson, number twenty three. I was like, oh, I know him. I saw a talk from him once. So sorry. This is this is what we're gonna get to. We're gonna be like, well, yeah, I looked. Yeah, it'd be the, like uh, I was looking him up before. So. All right. All right. We're gonna run into last call. We're bringing it home. Bring on the cricket. Right. This is our week. Well, yeah. I've just got a little bit of cricket content. I thought with uh, uh, the, the first matches of the Australian Test Summer less than a week away, um, the one day is start on Friday, so uh, very close. I thought I would go through my Test one day and T20 sides. Assuming everybody is uh, fit and assuming everybody is available, which isn't such an assurance given COVID and quarantine and everything. I know quite a few of the players are in South Australia, which are sort of a little bit fucked around. But we'll start with test because I think that's sort of the least controversial and also probably the one that we've most discussed on this podcast. So we should take the least time on it. Uh, Warner will open as he should. He's deserved that. Um, I think Pekovsky should open with him. Burns probably will open with him. Go back to last week if you would like to hear that discussion. Pekovsky probably deserves it. Burns has the um, existing reputation to sort of earn that place. It's unclear, it's up for debate, but I think Pekovsky, the young gun, the informed guy should take it. Then Marnus Labashane is sort of clearly number three. Steve Smith, Travis Head, clearly number three, four, five. Matthew Wade at number six is in good enough form to starve off sort of Cameron Green, who 
bats very well, is an opening batsman, quality also bowls, but is unsure as to whether he'll be bowling. So I think Matthew Wade, at least for the first test, will keep number six. Uh, Tim Payne's the keeper and the captain. He'll be number seven for the whole squad, the whole series. And then I think the bowlers are pretty set for the whole series unless somebody gets injured. Pattinson or Kane Richardson or Jai Richardson could take the place. But I think Pat Cummins, Mitchell Stark, Nathan Lyon and Josh Hazelwood are eight, nine, 10 and 11 for the entire series unless something goes wrong. Fair shout. Uh, the, the one day international team is also pretty easy to pick. I mean, th- these are very strong indications for Australian cricket when sides are so easy to pick and they pick themselves because that means that the people that are in the team have been performing and the people that are competing for spots are leaving it to sort of no competition and just um, performing to the point where there's no possible other option. Mm. That means that the openers are Warner and Finch, who have been the openers in the one-day side for a while. Smith will be number three. He's the best batsman in the country. Lovishan should be number four. He's a very, very good batsman, competing on being the best batsman in the country and a very good one-day batsman. Glenn Maxwell's at number five because he's freakishly talented. He... um, And, I mean, he's never been properly voted out of the one-day side. He's still talented enough as a batsman and he's a very, very good spin bowler. So he's at number five. Marcus Stoinis is at number six. He's been in very, very good form both in 2020 and one day is over in the IPL. He's been one of the best batsmen and also one of the best bowlers. So he's definitely an all-rounder option. Alex Carey is the established one-day and T20 keeper, and there's been no indication of anybody else forcing him out of that position. So he's Sorry, number seven. Alex Carey? Never heard of him. He's been in the one-day and T20 sides for about three or four years now. Right. So, Tim, what did you say? Since, Tim- uh, since Brad Haddon retired, which was 2015 and 2016, Payne's been the keeper in the test side and captain, obviously, since the Smith scandal happened. And then Alex Carey has been the wicketkeeper and vice-captain in the one-day and T20 sides. And I don't see a reason for that to change. I don't think he's vice-captain anymore. I think Pat Cummins is vice-captain now. But in terms of wicket-keeping in both those sides, there's no reason for him not to get that spot. Yeah, um, um, I'm pretty sure in, in one of his most recent one day internationals, he made 101 a game for us. So geez. he definitely gets the spot as the uh, wicketkeeper. And then the bowlers, Cummins and Stark, are definitely uh, in, the, in the side. Zampa is the spinner as opposed to Lyon in the test side. And then that third semen role goes to either Josh Hazelwood or Kane Richardson, depending on form. Probably Josh Hazelwood currently. Um, but, I mean, Hazelwood is the one seamer under threat if there are other ones uh, in form or that we sort of want to rotate out to just give it a little bit of a change. And then the 2020 side is actually quite similar to the one-day side, to be honest. Warner and Finch open. 
I've got Maxwell at three and Smith at four, but I mean, you could pretty easily change those around depending on the situation of the game. If it's pretty stable early, you probably send Maxwell in first. If it's pretty tumultuous early, you probably send Smith in first just to stabilize a little bit. But um, the big thing about batting orders in 2020 from maybe not one and two, but from three, sort of three to eight, you sort of float them depending on the uh, the match situation, what's happening. So if everything goes well, I've got Warner, Finch, Maxwell at three, Smith at four, Marcus Stoinis at five, um, who bowls a good bit of medium pace. Mitch Marsh, number six, is an all-rounder. He bats very well, especially in T20, and bats very well. Uh, sorry, bowls very well in T20s. Alex Carey at seven. Same discussion as when he was in the one-day side. He's earned his spot. He shouldn't be outed. Stark, Cummins, they're just very, very good bowlers in all forms. Number 10, either Ken Richardson or Ashton Agar, depending on how the pitch plays and sort of how the team lines up. Uh, so 11 is Zampa. So 10 sort of relies on whether you want a spinner or a seamer for that third proper bowler role. Agar probably bats a bit better. Richardson probably bowls a bit better. It's, it's probably uh, dependent on the conditions. And also, if, you're, uh, if you've batted first, probably dependent on the game situation as well. Sure. I have a question. Yeah. Why? Um, obviously, it takes different type of skills for um, across the three modes of the game. I, and I noticed uh, Labuschagne got left out of the T20 squad. What makes him uh, less of an asset in the Australia squad in the T20 mode versus him in the uh, ODIs and the Test series? I um, and that's a good question. And like he's been pressing his case in the that T20 side as well. And I would quite anticipate by the end of the summer that he would be in that best 11 for the T20 side as well. I just think so far he hasn't quite exhibited that explosiveness that, um, cause obviously Warner and Finch and Smith are sort of, so let's just say Warner Smith, Finch, Maxwell are established as the top four, whether that's the order they're in. So it's sort of a, um, competition the next two sides between Maxwell Stoinis and Mitch Marsh yep uh Maxwell is a freak he's just a freakish batsman and he bowls really well Uh, so I'll uh, I'll have Maxwell any limited overs uh squad I'll have Maxwell in regardless so it's between Stoinis Labashain uh and Mitch Marsh I think Stoinis is a fantastic bowler, fantastic batsman, so I'll have them both. So Mitch Marsh versus Lubbershen, I think ODIs, you probably need that uh, the more solid, dependable batsman more, whereas T20s, I think you can afford to go with the less dependable but possibly more explosive and more reliable with the ball. Yeah. Um. So one day as I go love a Shane because like obviously the 50 over game, if you're like two for 10, 
it's good to have a lot of shan there to be able to bat for 30 overs. But if you're in a T20 and you're two for 10, like you don't need the guy to be able to bat for 30 overs. You need to be the guy to be able to bat for 10 overs and then explode. Yeah, smack him out of the park, sure. Um, can Labber change bowl? So I think he can, but he's more a test bowler slash long form bowler. He bowls leg spin basically. So um, he's the type of bowl. He's the type of bowler that could take a wicket, but will almost certainly go for runs. Yeah. So in short form bowling, uh, not hugely useful or worth it. But in forms like test or one day is when you're up against the wall, worth it. Like to give him a couple of overs because he could create a wicket, but he could go for like 30 off four overs. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's where you want a more dependable bowler. Like, so he, did you say Marsh? Yeah. So he's like a, a dependable, more dependable batsman and a more dependable bowler. Whereas, uh, sorry, more dependable batsman, less dependable bowler. Whereas Marsh is a, Less dependable, but more explosive batsman, but a more dependable bowler. You say Mitch or Sean? Mitch. No, Sean's out. Sean's... Good. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um... Um, hot topic of the podcast um, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, Will Pukowski. Obviously, in competition for tests, how does he play in ODIs and T20s? Um, I mean, he's okay, but he's not... So, like, if he's going to be an opening batsman, he's not at the point where he can depose Finch yet. Because yeah. Finch is the captain, and Finch is still one of the best, like, batsmen in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I'm just interested in um, how um, our yeah. upcomers... And, it, and it's genuinely interesting to see, for me, um, I don't personally uh, pay attention too much or watch a lot of cricket, but how um, you have uh, quite a high variation between the modes. Like, I know Glenn Maxwell is a freak in 2020. Uh, I don't know. Who does he play for in the Big Bash? Because that's all I can think of. When I think, when I think Glenn Stars. Maxwell... Green. Green. Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, he's the captain. Big Bash. Um, freak. Yeah, no, but that's the problem. Like, he's more than that. But the selectors see him the same way you do, which is frustrating. But Is he a good um, long-form batsman? Or can he be? He's played... No, he can. He's played like six or seven tests. He's made a test century. He has a test century. Like, yeah. He, um, yeah, no, he could be, but he's just not given the chance. Yeah, sure. Um, all right. Anything else on cricket? I'm good. All right. I wanted to talk about uh, how do you feel about analytics in sports? Um, I mean, unless it's money, unless it's Billy Bean, it's pointless. Sure, because um... it, it can it can be great, but the majority of the time it's not. So it's yeah, we're talking basketball. We're talking my favorite team, Oklahoma City Thunder. We had a bit of a ragtag squad, 
but our manager has decided that we're due for a rebuild. And um, between, you remember, you know Russell Westbrook. I do know Russell Westbrook. Yes. So we got four picks and two pick swaps for him. And I don't know if you know Paul George, but we got four picks for him as well and a couple of good players. But basically what Sam Presti has done has sold the entire team and got 18 first-round draft picks in the Sorry? next... Sorry? How many is in the first round? Eight, no. So, like, over the next six years, he's got 18 first-round draft picks. Jesus. Well, that, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, but, like, I could... If you draft well... Well... Well, he's he's the same uh, general manager who drafted Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. So, like, he's got a decent track record. Mate, you just put your faith in him. I would just say, okay, next 10 years, we're fucked. After that, we are the uh, Boston Celtics. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. We had Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant. We are the LA Lakers. And we haven't won a championship. We haven't won a championship since we were the Sonics back in the 90s. So, like, how far can it... uh, And and genuinely, this is a question I wanted to bring up. How far can athletics get you versus just, like, playing on the field? Like, in any sport. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I, uh... I'm pretty happy for Essendon to just go six, seven, and eight. Just throw ourselves to the mercy of the draft and see what happens. But I mean, it's all luck is the thing. Yeah. When you have a, when, when you're in a sport that has a draft uh, and a salary cap, everything is luck. Yeah. Like you can, you can, if you are up the top, you can keep yourself up the top for a while through trading and like trading um, free agents and like getting in good players. But after a while, you are going to eventually get down the bottom. And then once you're down the bottom, it's luck. Yeah. And it's not a perfect merry-go-round where once you get to the bottom, you will get back to the top. Once you get to the bottom, it's a complete luck. Like you get lucky on the people that you have. You get lucky on the admin that you have. You get lucky on the coach that you've got and you might get to the top. Yeah. But like for Hawthorne now, for Essendon now and for North now, Crows now, we're at the bottom and we might get lucky. We might get taken to the top or we might not or... Yeah, we might really fail, but once you, when you're at the top, it's pretty easy to stay at the top at least for a couple of years. But when you're at the bottom, it, it's kind of a merry-go-round, and that's a little bit different to the way the EPL and leagues like that work, where it's salary cap less. Yeah, because once you're at the bottom, you're pretty much at the bottom, and like once you're at the top, you can always spend to stay at the top. Yeah, no, that's fair. I just think it's interesting how we have literally sold the entire farm for 18. And and that's the thing. I, was, I heard a really good um, analysis and 
Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a... Fuck, I can't remember the... I'm really bad with words. Analysis, I think, is the right word. Yeah. Well, basically, um, where uh, a pundit was just like, uh, the car's really good until you drive it off the lot. And then it depreciates in value every single time. It's like if I told you um, Essendon, say Essendon have, Essendon trade up to the second pick. And, I t- and you think, wow, the second pick's really good. But then once I tell you it's Scott Gumbleton, now you think differently. Like Scott Gumbleton was, this, was yeah, he the second pick? I mean, if we, yeah, he was. But it, is a, if we're thinking it really is a raffle. Car analogy. Basically, you, you like going into sort of 2012, you were like a secondhand car and somebody tried to make improvements to you and like, it made you a little bit better, but still not the best car. But then afterwards, more improvements and like, yeah, you got to the best car, more work, best car, more work, best car. But then after a certain point, you got to the point where it doesn't matter how much work you put on something that's that old, like you're still going to get beaten by something that's four or five years newer. Yeah. No, and like, it's eventually happened. And Richmond is that newer car and they've kept putting improvements on it. Tom Lynch was a whole new like turbocharge. Mm. Yeah, no, um, I just, I just and eventually it. Hawthorne has like parts have been stripped away and you've eventually just fallen back to one of those cars that is not really competing in the race. No, and and that's a whole different podcast by itself where Hawthorne have just kind of stripped it bare and uh yeah. Well and and that might be um like this thunder comparison where Clarko absolutely nailed the 2004 draft and then has basically been living off the 2004 draft oh, until, yeah. until that's, yeah. that's insane to think about how he lived off a draft for 12, 16 years. Yeah. yeah, it is. Until we started getting bad. Like that's insane. Like, I hope Sam Presti does this. Otherwise, we have 18 draft picks for absolutely nothing. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one more thing I wanted to talk about, also basketball-related. Um, as we talked about before, the NBA draft was Wednesday night. The Minnesota Timbles had the first pick, and they picked Anthony Edwards, a shooting guard. Um, now, their current shooting guard, Malik Beasley, got in a bit of legal trouble. Um, but they still decided. Uh, they still decided to pay him sixty million dollars over four years, even though he is still uh, facing charges of domestic violence and threatening his family with a automatic weapon. Um, oh dear! How do you pay someone who's under charge by a federal law enforcement agency sixty million dollars? even though he tried to fuck up his family with an automatic weapon. I don't get it. As shit as this sounds to say, you play the odds and you realize that less than a quarter of family violence charges actually get pressed. And you just assume that nothing will happen from it. That's tough. That's tough for the family. And I know we're not a... uh, 
It is tough from the family, but if we're honest, it's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's what happens when you get paid $60 million, which is another thing. Yeah. How, and this is a whole different podcast, but like at the end of the day, um, people getting paid multi millions of dollars to throw a pigskin at a hoop baffles me, but that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> it is a whole different podcast. Um, you got anything else for last call? No, I'm good. All right. We're going to send it out. This has been the last call podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully I'll edit it down to less than two hours. Unlikely. Unlikely, but join us next week for more random shit. And thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week.